One of the greatest works of art that has been ever painted sits in Milan, Italy right now, and it's called The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. What is interesting about The Last Supper is the moment that da Vinci begins to paint this is that moment that Jesus says to all those that were sitting at the table that one of you is going to betray me. And one of the stories that is associated with this painting is that da Vinci actually painted real people to match each of the faces of the disciples. He would get live people to paint their face and expressions for that moment that that priceless painting is is there for, the people's expressions in 1495. When da Vinci was painting the face of Christ, he said it sought long and hard and found a young boy named Pietro Bandinelli. His face became the focal point of the painting. In fact, da Vinci said it was the face of an angel. But in 1498, three years into painting this portrait, this this picture, this classic, all the disciples' faces were painted except one, and it was Judas Iscariot. He needed one that had the miseries of sin all over their lives. How do you find someone like that? And after a three-year search of leaving that person out, Judas Iscariot, all 11 have been painted, Jesus has been painted, and after a three-year search, da Vinci said he found the right man, and he said his face made him shudder. He asked the man his name before he painted him, and he says, my name is Pietro. Bandinelli, I'm the one you painted three years earlier to be Jesus. What, what happened? What? Da Vinci was shocked. When I read this, I was shocked. What happened to this young man that three years earlier, he is seen as a face of an angel. Three years later, he is seen to have a face that Da Vinci said, I shuddered to look at the miseries upon this man's face. And as shocking as this story was when I read it, there's another person's story that is even more shocking because we can see the progression on how something like this happens. And I want to tell you his story today. His story started to speak to me, and I'm praying that it's going to speak to you. And I pray it really even speaks to not only this church, but to the church. It's something we don't speak about anymore in the church. It happened to Pietro, it happens to the church, and it happens to the best of men. And it's a word that we don't talk about very much anymore, especially in this day and time. Let me just tell you what that word is. It's called backslidden. Backslidden. We don't use that word very much anymore. I read a a book a few years ago called The Great Evangelical Recession, and there were some startling stats as three of the most reputable Christian statisticians, Barna and McDowell, Lifeway, and UCLA, began to do stats on next gen, on young people in the church today, between the ages of 18 and 29. And this is what they said. They said, here are the real numbers, that four out of five, after they leave high school, four out of five of our next gen, of our student ministry, will disengage from the church right after high school. Almost 80%, they said, will walk away from the church. They said it's almost about three, almost four million people will walk away. These young people will walk away. And then they said this. They said of that, less than 50% will even come back to the church at that point. Folks, that's why we need to pray for next-gen ministry here. We need to lift up Stan and Natasha, Emily and Grant, and youth ministry is such an important and such a difficult ministry. And I think about this response to that statistic today as we speak about this epidemic in the church called backsliding. But it's almost ironic and prophetic at the same time that the name Pietro that da Vinci painted actually means Peter. And that's the story I want to tell you today. The apostle Peter is in the category of those who abandon their faith like a a next-gen leaving high school in 2022 And he's like Pietro, his story, in in 1495. Because I want to read to you kind of that three-year journey. I want to read to you the Apostle Peter's declaration, really in a sense, before high school. And I want to read you his confession 
after he walks away from the Lord. Let me read to you what Peter said in Matthew 16, 16. Here's was his declaration. He said, Simon Peter answered, he's speaking to Jesus and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then three years after this, Peter in Mark 14, 71 says, but he began to curse and swear and said this, when he was asked, did he know Jesus? He says, I do not know this man that you are talking about. How in Caesarea Philippi does Peter call Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God? And then when you get to Jerusalem, Peter denies knowing the one he just confessed a few years earlier. He says, you are the Christ. And then that leads him to, I do not know this man. What happens in between the declaration and the confession or the declaration and the denial? What, what is it that took place there? How does a confession turn into a denial? You are the Christ to I don't even know this man. And we're witnessing this backsliding, but not speaking to it. And I have this sense that a backsliding people comes from a backslidden church many times. That this is not just a word for people, but even for the church, for our church to walk in a soberness and understand What's actually taking place, the church here in New York City. See, Hosea in the Old Testament and John in Revelation in the New Testament begin to speak about the church has to be careful of what actually can come. Can you imagine a church in Ephesus that was pastored by the Apostle Paul, Apollos, and Timothy began to find itself backsliding? It says in Revelation 2.5, therefore, he says, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. It's spoken to the church. And then God even speaks to his own people through the prophets in Hosea. And he says these words. And I want you to listen to these words that Hosea speaks. He says, my people are bent on backsliding from me. And listen to this next phrase. Though they call to the Most High, none exalt him. Look at that again. Though they call, mention his name, they're not exalting me. Folks, this is so profound what the apostle is even prophesying here. Exalt means to give the proper place that God is higher than anything and anyone else. But here's what he says. He says, it's the danger of having a church that knows how to sing songs about him, but not lift him up to the place he's supposed to be. It's the danger of knowing how to preach, but not, but not finding ourselves in the place that we exalt him and saying we can talk about him, but do we actually put him in the place that he's supposed to be? That he is higher than any name, any denomination, any church, any preacher, any pastor. There's only one name that can set free, and it is Jesus Christ. It's the only name that can set free. And it's not us talking about him, it's us exalting him for who he is today. That's why the great revivalist Billy Sunday said it like this. He says, two things happen in a revival. First, the church returns from backsliding. Second, conversion happens of men and women. He says, revival will, will always include the conviction of sin, not only in the world, but also in the church. He'll also begin to come and start speaking to us the great English preacher, Charles Spurgeon, says this. He says, if you want to know how to backslide, he says, the answer is leave off going forward. He says, and you will slide backwards. Cease going upward and you'll find yourself going downward. Standing still can never be the option for the Christian or even for the church today. See, something starts to happen inside before it's even visible on the outside. And in fact, when Jesus said, isn't it interesting, when he said, like that da Vinci painting, when he said, one of you shall betray me, you couldn't see it on the faces of the people. Isn't it interesting when he says, one of you will betray me, nobody said, is it Judas? Nobody looked and go, well, that... That's the sketchiest looking guy at the table. So therefore, it must be Judas. Nobody looked at Judas at that moment because it doesn't. 
because it doesn't start it doesn't start publicly first it starts privately first something starts going on inside of us many believe it was just a few hours before peter said i do not know this man that he and 11 others began to announce even if i have to die with you i will not deny you and all the disciples said the same thing See, if the time frame of hours is true, let's be clear that denial doesn't happen in just three hours. It happens, something starts to happen inside of us. And that's the shocking part. See, I started to think about this phrase backsliding and I thought about the words of Thomas Guthrie who said this. He said, if you find yourself loving any pleasure better than praying or any book better than the Bible, any house better than God's house, any table better than the Lord's table and any person better than the Christ, any indulgence, better than heaven, then we have to take alarm. We have to begin to look. Folks, we're living in a time that is calling for our attention. It's calling for our time. It's calling for our sacrifice. And there's only one that deserves all of it. There's only one that deserves for us to put him in a place that he belongs. And it is to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's what God is calling his church back to. He's calling his church back to that. I'm shocked at Peter. I'm shocked that this can happen today. I'm shocked when you start to face these very things that seems to, that, that, is, that is taking place. We're, we're living in a time where Peter can confess him as Lord and then deny him just a few years later. What goes on in that? And when I started to even examine my own heart at this point, think about this for just a moment. For three years, Peter has been with Jesus. He was not a new believer. He, had an, he was eyewitness of possibly hundreds of miracles. Heard matchless sermons from the lips of the greatest preacher that has ever walked this planet. He was privy to private conversations that he had, that Jesus had with God the Father. In fact, Peter heard on the Mount of Transfiguration, heard the audible voice of God. His eyes saw what only a few saw. His ears heard what only a few have heard. And Peter's fall was really right, or denial was right after his feet were washed by the hands of Jesus. How does this happen? How does this take place? See, if this story was just kind of a legend or a folklore or introduced as possibly happening, I couldn't even believe it today. But for some reason, God, by the Holy Spirit, would put this in the scriptures for us. He would put it in the Bible to say, take, take heed to this. Be sober to what can happen to any of us. And I started to think and started to examine my own life. Because I started to think through that I want to walk you through is, what are the warning signs of that? What are the warning signs of backsliding? What are the warning signs? If we are, if we are every Sunday seeing dozens and dozens of People come from around the world joining in online, from people from all over the world joining us in person on 51st and Broadway. We've got a sober responsibility to not just speak about Jesus, but to exalt Jesus today. We have a responsibility to make sure that, God, we are not going backwards, but we're moving forwards in Christ. That Jesus today is sweeter than he's ever been to us before. We have a responsibility to love this book more than we've ever loved it. To love to sing the songs of Jesus more than we've ever sung those songs. To find ourselves loving to be in the house of God more than we ever have. That folks, it's an incredible responsibility. It's a weighty responsibility that I felt over these last two weeks that God is putting upon us. It started with David Wilkerson here and then through Pastor Carter Conlin. And thinking to myself, we have a weighty responsibility. Oh God, let the fire be burning in this place at all times. Let the fire of God be burning in this house. And that's why I started to examine my own heart. And I started to look at the progression of Peter and go, how do you go from confession to denial? How do, how do, how do you go from you are the Christ, the son of the living God, to I've never known you? I want you to write these down. These are the warning signs that I began to see and began to examine my own, my own life. And I want it to be something that only, not only speaks to me, but for all of us. And oh God, speak to your church here in New York City, around the country and around the world. Here's the first thing that I saw with Peter. Jot this down. You start to rewrite God's clear word. You start rewriting God's clear word. Listen to where it starts 
after Peter's confession. Listen to Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began. This is after Peter's confession. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third. He's talking about the cross that we sang, that Freddie led us in. And this is what it says. Peter then took him aside and began to rebuke him. Not a good thing. Rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Think of this for just a moment. Peter is pushing back against the talk of the cross. He's pushing back against Calvary. He's rewriting Jesus's script and destiny that Jesus literally just said in three days, he goes, shortly, I'm going to be killed by the priests and the scribes. I'm going to be raised up on the third day. And Peter was going to rewrite that and, and basically say, no, not, this is not going to happen. And P if Peter's rewrite was, came, to, came to fruition, there would be no cross. In fact, he looks at Jesus and says, this shall never happen to you. Think of that for just a moment. He's, he's rewriting the script of God. See, as long as Jesus spoke to Peter about the building of the church and, and that the gates of hell shall not prevail, Peter was all in. But when Jesus speaks about the cross, there is pushback to that. And folks, we need a church that speaks about the cross again. We need a church that can speak about the blood of Jesus again. We need a church that can lift up the Christ that has died for every one of our sins again. This is amazing to me. And this happens when we think we know better than what the Word of God begins to tell us. When people push back on what God clearly says in His Word, we are heading into a dangerous place of backsliding. When we begin to take what the Bible clearly says on issues that we are facing today in our country, that actual courts are voting on, that legislation is beginning to try to get higher than the Word of God. Let me just tell you something. And if the church doesn't speak truth, then we're finding ourselves in a backslidden state. When we begin to watch a culture begin to get louder than the pulpits that are in the country and in America, we're sitting in a very dangerous place. We're beginning to teeter on backsliding. God is asking the pulpits to have the courage again to say, listen, it is not in the hands for a Supreme Court to decide if this is right and wrong. God decides that. He decided it from the beginning and he continues to decide it. And folks, if that ever means, let me just tell you this, if that means that people will actually stand up in the church and walk out, then so be it. But church, it has to be a place where the truth of God, we don't rewrite what this Bible says. This is God's word. We stand for what God has to tell us and for what God speaks to us today. Hallelujah. Proverbs 14, 14 says the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. That's what it says. He'll choose what's right and wrong. I'm reading this book when I was on vacation on cults, and it was talking about that right now, three in 10, 30% of people in America now describe themselves as religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S. They have, they have no affiliation. It's the highest number this has ever been. They consider themselves atheists or agnostics, but have no religious identity. But that's not the one that scared me. This is the one that scared me. There is a new group that's raising up, and it's called religious remixes. Let me tell you what it means. I was just shocked. They call themselves religious remixes, and this is what it means. They pick and choose from all the other religions like a buffet to decide what the truth is. If they like this over here and this over here, they'll choose this, they'll choose this. They take what they like and leave out what offends them. Folks, let me just tell you, I want to be real clear. We challenge God's word. You know why people challenge this? Because it challenges them. 
Or let me say it to you like this. Get this down. Men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts itself. Men reject the Bible because it contradicts them. That's why they reject the Bible. They don't like, because that's when they begin to become a religious remix. They're going, I don't want this because it contradicts me and what I'm thinking. That's exactly what Peter was saying. Peter was rewriting God's clear words. Folks, we have now the church asking, let me just tell you, we have the church asking. The questions are already out there because, because we live in a culture that is now legalized smoking weed. The church is asking, is it okay for us to smoke weed and still be? Folks, it's the truth. What they're saying is this. If the government says it's true, then it must be right. I, I reject that. We start here every single time. Every single time. Number two, what I began to see about this progression of backsliding is what I call the exaggeration of self. Listen again as Peter uses his favorite word, never. Because he says, as we read earlier, he says that never shall this happen to you. Listen to it again, because those people, the never people, are dangerous. It's exaggeration and hyperbole. In Peter's case, he exaggerates himself. Listen to it. In Matthew 26, 33, Peter said, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never. It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. It exaggerates ourself. Here's what we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, don't be so naive and so self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. Cultivate God confidence. That's, that's the challenge for us, is to trust what God has to say and not what we say, not to exaggerate ourselves. I, I've been there before. Listen, for, for, for those that are sitting here, I'm just telling you as a young, when I was a young pastor, just to, just to get in certain circles, and with it, you, just, it's, it's, you could find yourself in this trap of exaggerating yourself, exaggerating numbers, exaggerating things about yourself, just so people, instead of worried about what God thinks, you're worried about what people think. I was asked to speak at a, at a Bible college in the Midwest, and we just planted our church in Detroit. So it was a new church. It was probably a little over a year old. And I was sitting, it was, in a, it was a class at night and those that wanted to become church planters. And so they did a Q&A with me because I planted a church in Detroit. And many of you know the story, but without boring you with the details, someone in that class, we've been going for one year, asked me kind of the question you're always supposed to ask, it seems like. They just said, how many does your church run? How many people attend your church? And I'm telling you, at that moment, I exaggerated myself. I not only chose Mother's Day numbers, but I rounded the numbers up. And as I rounded those numbers up, I'm telling you folks, it was, it was like a movie scene. It was as if God stopped the whole room and I heard the voice of God in my mind. And this is what I felt the Holy Spirit said. You just lied. Tell the truth and repent. And so I just go, God, I will repent. As soon as I get back to the hotel, I said, well, take care of this. This is me and you. We'll take it. And I heard the voice of God and said, you tell them you just lied. And it was this conversation, like everybody stopped. And it was, and it was this thing that I knew God was talking to me. He, he was saying, I can't, this is what I felt. I can never anoint anything that's not truth. If you exaggerate and lie to get a hand clap, a laugh, or to get someone to admire you, then you will have to depend upon that lie, but my anointing and presence will not be there. 
And if you don't get a handle on this now and tell the truth, this will follow you. You will tell every story with hyperbole, making it to be something that just wasn't true. And you'll tell the story enough and it won't be true at all. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, you tell them right now because my anointing will not be on any lie. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, and who gave you the authority to round it up to the nearest thousand? And I remember looking at those students and telling them what the number I just told you is not true. Here's the exact number. I know how many were in our church last Sunday. I said this so you would admire. It's this exaggeration of self. Folks, let me just tell you this. Look at me for a second. You always want to be careful. If you want to know on kind of the kind of the, the, the other side of the coin for exaggeration of self, be careful of people that find fault with the church. Fault finding is an exaggeration of self. When they can point to everything wrong with the church, but never point to anything inside their own lives. It's the other side of the coin. That if you're not, if you're not exaggerating the good parts, it's, ex, it's easy to exaggerate against somebody else. And you start to believe those lies. And I'm so thankful for that day that God says, don't exaggerate. Don't tell lies. Don't live as this never people. Don't do what Peter has done. Because then the third thing that happens is this. Jot this down. You start losing the prayer priority in your life. See, backsliding begins in the knees. Individually and nationally. Two days ago, I don't even know if you realize this. Everybody's focus is in is it looks to Washington, D.C. and the Supreme Court. I don't know if you realize, two days ago was the 50th anniversary that the United States Supreme Court on June 17, 1963, on a ruling eight to one that the states cannot recite the Lord's Prayer or any Bible verse in a public school. Folks, let's, let's just be clear. The, the, when, when New York itself is saying this, the school year is not even, is, bare, is just ending, and they've already found 900 weapons in the New York City public schools. Nobody goes back and go, when you remove God, you invite everything else in. We need, we need a revival. But here's the part I want you to understand. Here's the part I want you to get. Peter was losing in prayer, which was going to bring loss in other areas. Listen to what it said. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it says, and he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch just one hour? Keep watching and praying that you don't come into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't it amazing? Look at that verse again. Isn't it amazing that when he speaks to Peter, he says, Simon, are you asleep? He goes back to Peter's old name before he renames him. Before he calls him Peter, he was called Simon. And he goes back to the old name, almost to say this, when you stop praying, you go back to old ways. When you stop calling unto me, you go back to old ways. Isn't it incredible when you read the book of Judges, the strongest man that ever lived, Samson, was asleep when he lost his strength. Because when, when the church falls asleep, the church begins to lose in prayer. And what we begin to find ourselves is, that's why I'm so thankful for the Wednesday night prayer meeting led by Pastor Carter every single Wednesday night. It's God keeping us and calling us back to prayer. It's God leading us. And that's why we encourage you to be here not only on Tuesday nights for the teaching of the word, but on Wednesday nights as we begin to pray together as a church. Because as you begin to follow that progression of Peter from, from when you start to think about what Peter started to go through and what Peter was facing, the rewrite and then he was moving also to the place of exaggeration, then to the place of losing prayer. Let me just give you these last two, and then we're going to close. He starts choosing swords over his knees. Let me explain to you about this. When you lose prayer, and I'll explain this, you choose swords because you were looking for power from somewhere else. When Peter lost prayer, he picked up a sword when they came against Jesus. And I really believe if Peter prayed, there would have been no sword in his hand. Listen to 1447 of Mark. But one of those stood up 
stood by, drew his sword. This is Peter, and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. This is Peter saying, if I'm not praying, I've got to find something to give me authority. Folks, the only thing that can give the church authority is a praying church. It's when the church begins to pray and begins to call upon God. If not, then what we do is we look for swords. We look for other ways to find authority. We look for other things to give us uh, an edge proverbially into going into places to say, we choose this instead of prayer. I'm telling you today, the only thing that's going to keep the church in the place that we're supposed to be is a praying church. It's a place that knows how to pray, that knows how to call upon God. It's it's, it's incredible. Churches are picking up swords, thinking if we're not going to pray, then let's find some gimmick to keep things going, to get an edge, to be on the cutting edge of stuff. And what they're actually doing is picking up swords instead of going to their knees. And finally, Peter finds strange fires. In Mark 14, 54, it says that Peter had allowed followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the officers and warming himself at the fire. When Peter was at a distance, he found a fire to warm himself. What he was saying was this. Look at that verse again. Peter, the Bible says, had followed him at a distance. The further you we drift from Jesus, the closer we come to strange fire. The further we come away from exalting him for who he is, the closer we get to strange fires because they attract. There are people at those strange fires and it's easy to be attracted to those. When Peter was at that strange fire, the Bible says, and when Peter was warming himself, it was there where all the denial began to take place. He says, someone said to him, you were also with Jesus the Nazarene, but he denied it. Here comes the denial. I never, I neither uh, know nor understand what you're talking about. Then he went out into the porch and a servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is the one of them. Then he began to deny it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you're one of them. And here comes the third denial. But he began to curse and swear and said, I do not know this man or what you, you, who you're talking about. That's why As Peter began to distance himself, he began finding somehow a strange fire to be the thing to warm himself at, the thing that somehow exhilarated him and brought him to this place. Some years ago, I was speaking at a conference, and while I was there, I joined with some of the speakers who were pastors. This is some years ago. And while I was there, I was was shocked I felt like I was at a strange fire at this table. As I was listening to pastors tell stories, which the stories are fine, but in the midst of the stories, I was listening to pastors use profanity at the table. And I'm listening to words that, have, that sneaks into their language that, like it was appropriate. And, and I'm sitting at this table shocked because I feel like I'm at a, I'm at a strange fire going, what in the world is happening as they're telling and using four letter words. And at some point I just, I just said, let me be real clear. I said, if you're expecting me to join in with you, I said, you've got the wrong person. I said, because I, I said, I still believe that that is not God honoring to use those kind of words, no matter how mature you are. And I want to just tell you, I want you to listen to me. The more mature you become in Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden that you can begin to add those things to your vocabulary. And I'm telling you, when people say that that gives them freedom, I'm telling you, they're beginning to expose a bondage that's inside of them. Because our language should become, our language should be full of words that exalt Christ. Our language should be words that lift up the name of Jesus. I don't want to get close to a fire and I don't want to get close to an edge. I want to just get right into the heart of who Jesus is and begin to fall in love with him. And I'm telling you, if you're here today and you're warming your hands at that strange fire, it's time to come back to God. It's time to come back to Christ. It's time to leave him. If you're a pastor that's listening to this today 
and you're finding yourself, whether it's publicly or privately, using a kind of language, I'm telling you, it's time to come back to God. It's time to come back to the things of God and say, I want to do what is going to begin honor and bring honor to the name above every other name, and that's the name of Jesus. I was reading the story of a wealthy woman in London looking for a driver because she was getting up in years and she was looking for a chauffeur. So she had three candidates to interview and had all of them drive her car. And the first two, she said, drove so close to the edge of these hills to where she lived that literally just to show that we can be close to an edge and then, but we can keep it in control. And she said it was the third driver that she hired. He said, he stayed so far from the edge. And she said, I don't want someone driving me that wants to see how close they can get. I want to drive with somebody that can keep me far away from that. That's what I want to do. Peter found himself close to that edge. Isn't it amazing that when men were on the road to Emmaus and Jesus would talk to them, those men said this, they said, were not our hearts burning with us while he was speaking to us? Folks, if there is a fire to warm you, it is the voice of Jesus. It is the voice of God. Choose his voice. God, help us not to rewrite your word. Help us not to exaggerate ourselves and not exalt you. God, forgive us for the loss of prayer in the church and picking up swords instead of bending our knees and finding strange fires as we drift from Christ. How do we get back as a church? Let me close with this. How do we get back as a church? How do you get back as a person? How do we even get back as a country, as a nation? I want to read something. This sentence so moved my heart from an old Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McShane, said this. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I wouldn't fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. And this is what he said. He is praying for me right now. Jesus is praying for me right now. Right now. Isn't it interesting that just before Peter was to enter into all this craziness, from confession to denial, Jesus says these words, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, you're going to strengthen your brothers. What a, what a word of encouragement. Think of this. What stands between Satan and Peter? You ready for this, folks? What stands between Satan and Peter? Here it comes. Prayer. Prayer. A praying Savior stands between a sifting Satan and a, and, and, and a denying Peter. I was reading the story of a next-gen young lady who's part of those statistics that we were reading who turned her back on God because her widowed mother was still grieving the loss of her father and this young girl angry with God that she, she wasn't celebrating a father on a day like today. Walked away from home, walked away from her mom, walked away from church, walked away from God Felt like God let her down, took her dad away. And she walked away from her face. And the mom was heartbroken. Not only did she feel like she lost her husband, but this mom was saying, I've lost my daughter. Even though she's alive, I've lost her. I've lost her. So the mom, too old to know how to post anything on the line, decided to print out, go old school and print out a, a picture of her daughter and her mom together and just write the words, come back home. And I was reading her, the mom's story, and she said, I put it in every place I think that she would show up. I just put it up there. For us, like myself, who have the hardest time figuring out how to post and how to Instagram and Facebook and all those things, she just put it up in all these places. And wouldn't you know, the mom was right. In one of those places, the young girl saw her picture and saw those words, come back home. The young lady was ready. The strange fire didn't warm her at all. She packed her clothes 
And when I was reading her story, she said, I arrived in the early hours of the morning. And she said, the thing that surprised me most is the door was open. She said, I opened the door and there was my mom praying in the middle of the night for me. She said she was there. She said, she said, mom, why, why did you leave the door open? You know, the kind of neighborhood we had. She said, Louise, the door has never been closed since she'd left. I left it open every night expecting you to return. And when you came home, I didn't want you to find the door locked, but the door was open for you to always come back home. That a praying mom keeps that door open. And can I tell you some good news? You have a praying savior and the door is always open. It's always open. Proverbs 14, 14 says it like this in the living Bible. The backslider gets bored with himself, but the godly man's life is exciting. It's exciting. There comes a day that the fire doesn't warm. There comes a day that all the conversations doesn't seem to excite you. What do I do? Pastor Tim, there is an open door back to God for you. There's an open door back to come to him. What gets you there? It's prayer. It's prayer that brings you back. I have, I have to tell you this as we close. Arthur, who leads our online community, told me this amazing story of Patricia, one of our online hosts, and she may be online right now. And Julie is her 95-year-old patient and she's the caregiver for this 95-year-old woman. Patricia would get all these pushbacks because all of her clients, all of her caregiving clients were complaining because on Tuesday, on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Sundays, she was watching TSC online, and she'd get all these pushbacks. And her chief complainer that she said was Julie, the 95-year-old woman that Patricia's taking care of. So Julie told Patricia several times, who does not believe in God, that she would just kept praying. Remember, between Peter and Satan was a praying Savior. Prayer was in between that. And so now you have Patricia, our online host, and you have precious Julie, 95 years old, that doesn't want to watch what's going on, and prayer is happening between this. Just two weeks ago, on Wednesday night, while Patricia was watching the worldwide prayer meeting, Julie was asking, what are you watching now tonight? As she was listening to the prayer service. She was captivated by every prayer that was going on that night and the request that came along. So Julie grabbed hold of the laptop. 95-year-old Julie grabbed hold of the laptop, never looked away, never asked a question. And Patricia was praying with Pastor Carter as he shared the message of salvation and said, pray this prayer with me. And Julie, this 95-year-old woman, started praying this prayer. She asked Julie, Patricia asked Julie if she accepted Jesus. And here this 95-year-old woman just simply said this, yes and amen. <laughs> and, and just a few days ago, when we did our online meeting with all of our hosts to do our kind of our wrap-up, Julie was on to talk about this. And guess who showed up online with Julie? 95-year-old Patricia was right next to Julie who gave her heart to the Lord there. What was the thing that drew her? Prayer. Prayer stands for us. This is what, this is what Jason Lobaxter said. Men can spurn your appeals. They can reject your message. They can oppose your arguments and despise you, but they are helpless against the prayers of a praying people. They're helpless against that. I'm telling you today, if God raises us up, we want to be a praying church. We want to begin to cry. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a father that's here today, if you're a mom that's here today, if you're a backslider that's here today, the door is open. Come back home today. Just come back home. The door is open. Religion wants you to exaggerate yourself. Pastor Tim, how do I go through that door? Religion wants you to exaggerate yourself, going, I'm a good person. I can walk through the door. I haven't hurt anybody. I've been, I've been okay. Let me just tell you something. Exaggerated people don't walk through that door. 
There's only one person that walks through that door are those that go, I am a sinner in need of a savior. That's who gets to walk through that door. The, the humble that just go, I need you, Jesus. I need you today. I need to walk through that. What happens, Pastor Tim? Will I be rejected? I'm telling you, the Bible says he will never cast out anyone who comes to him. If you're watching online or here today, you go, Pastor Tim, are you saying the door's open for me? I'm saying the door is open for you today. Pastor Tim, are you saying that the door, I can walk through that? You can walk through that door today. I don't care if you're 95 or if you're a next gen, you can walk through that door today. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you have, how you've rejected. I don't care what, you, what, what you've said. I don't care if you've used this name in vain. I don't care what's going on. The door is always open. Come back to God today. Come back to God today. Come back to him. This is the day. The Bible says this is the day of salvation. In fact, Jesus said this. You ready for this? John 10, 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's what it says. Today, that can happen. That salvation moment can happen right now. Pastor Tim, you're saying right here, this, right here, I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment right now. The door is open. This is a moment where God is speaking to you. He's talking to you to come back home today. The door is open. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I need to come back to God. I need to come back to him today, whether you're online or in this place. If you're sitting here today and realizing that God is calling you back, God is calling you back, no matter how far you've gone, no matter what fire you've warmed yourself at, no matter how long it's been since you even prayed to God, Today, the door is open for you. Today, is, the door is open. And God is calling you to himself. And if you're here and say, Pastor Tim, I need to come back to God today. I need to come back. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, I need to come back to him today, my heart has gotten cold. And today, I want to walk through that door today. I want to walk through that door today. If that's you, wherever you're at, just raise your hand. Anybody here, just raise your hand. Hold it up as high as you can, as high as you can. Hold it up high in the balcony. Just say, I need to come back home. I need to get these things right in my life. Hold them up as high as you can. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you've raised your hand, stand to your feet right now. Quickly, stand to your feet. You just say, I need to get these things right. I need to get these things right. I need my heart to get warmed again. I need to come back to God. Wherever you're at, balcony, main floor, I want you to stand. Just stand to your feet. If that's you, just say, I want you to stand. I've got to get these things right with God today. I've got to get them right with God today. I want, I, I've got it. If you're, if you're watching from somewhere else, I, I want you to begin just right where you're at. You're going to begin to pray with us. But if that's you today and say, I've got to get my heart warmed by God again. I need my heart. I need to come back home today. I need to come back home to God today. This is the day to do it. This is the day to do it. This is the day to do it. I'm going to ask you to do this. For those that are standing, we, we're, we're slowly moving into this. Here's what I want you to do. I, I, just, I just feel like I need to do this today. I want you to get out of your seat and walk down here. And if you need to be down here, I want you to come quickly. Just come on. I want to pray for you quickly. Balcony, come on down. Main floor. And if you should be down here, then come on down quickly as fast as you can. Get down here as fast as you can. God wants to do something today. God wants to do something today. I want to believe that quickly. Wherever you're at, balcony, go to the exits. We'll bring you down. And we want to believe today. Come on, as they come, stand with me and put your hands together because we want to believe for God to do something as these come back home. As these come back home to God today, he's going to do something special for you, my precious brother. Come on, quickly, quickly, you come. Balcony, we're going to wait for you to make your way down. God is going to do something. Come on, let's believe God to do something very special here today. God to do something very special here today. God to do something very special here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. As they begin to come, some of our prayer teams are going to come right around them and we're going to believe. I want to believe for God to touch them right now. If you're watching at home, I believe God is going to begin to bring you back, bring you back, 
whatever name you're watching from Bulgaria, the United Arab Emirates, if you're watching right now, I want you, I know what I want you to type in, into that chat. I want you to type this. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back home. Type, go ahead, type that in. I'm coming back home. I'm coming back home. We're going to wait. We're going to believe. We're going to wait. I believe that there are people that God is calling. We're going to wait for you. Some of you are going to the exits and coming down. I want, I want to believe God is going to begin to do this today. God is going to be, he loves you. He's going to do a work in you today. He's calling you home. And here's the joy. The door is open. The door is open. The door is open. Just come home. The door is open. The door is open. Some of you dads need to grab a son or a family member and just say, come on. Come back home. Come back. Let's go back home because this is where it starts. This is where it starts. God's going to do his work today. God's going to do his work today. God's calling us back to himself. God's calling us back to himself. He's going to do that work. Church, would you do me a favor? Stretch out your arms, your hands to these people that are up here at this altar. Our workers are going to come. We're going to pray for you. Father, right now, we're believing that God is people begin to come back home today. They're going to know the door is open. The door is open today. The door is open today. God, every one of these, the door is open for them today. However they've gotten here today, this is the day. This is their day. This is their day, God. This is their day. This is their day, God. And we're believing, Father, that your Holy Spirit is going to work a miracle right now in their lives. Bring them home, oh God. As they open up the door today, let them walk in. Let them find rest. Let them find salvation. Let them find Jesus today, a welcoming Jesus. There is some at this altar that God, that between them, Father, and hell has been a praying mom, a praying dad, a praying friend, a praying pastor, a praying brother that has prayed for them. They're here today as a result of prayer, as a result of prayer. And so God, today, on this day, work your miracle in these lives today. Thank you, God, for them. Thank you. All over this place. Would you pray this with me today? Come on, say these words with me today. Say, dear Jesus, I'm coming home. Thank you, Jesus. The door is always open. Today, I come to you. And I thank you that I come to a welcoming Savior. I give you my life. The fires of this world can't warm me, but I come to the fire of the Lord and I find warmth. I find peace. I find forgiveness. I find salvation. I find eternity. I find hope. I find joy in Jesus name. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.